the volume. The Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona 18887897777 or visit ccpg.org/chat for Connecticut 1800gambler or visit fanduel.com/rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Virginia 1877770stop for Louisiana 1800270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan 18778hopeny or text hopeny for New York Tennessee Redline 1800889 1-800-522-4700-4-Wyoming-Visit-www.1800-Gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the sessions. We just wrapped up Father's Day. I hope that everybody had a great time. I hope that everybody treated their dads well, whether you got them a gift. By dads, I also mean husbands. Shower everybody in the gifts. Everybody deserves a little something-something for all of the dads in our lives, which brings me to this episode. I am joined by none other than everybody's favorite daddy, Effie. So Effie's been on the show before, but I didn't get to interview Effie. Lita, Amy Dumas, she interviewed Effie and she did an exceptional job. But I wanted a little Effie love up in my life. I wanted to have a little chit chat with Effie. So I brought him back on and we had a time. Oh my God, this guy is just a dream. Just a lot of fun. All the things that you think that Effie's going to be, he lives up to uh, all those expectations of being great. Um, and this was like more so through the Zoom. We've, you know, we've seen each other in real life. We've not been able to hang out a ton or anything, but um, God, I really want to go to Big Gay Brunch. So, so, so bad. He's fantastic. Um, and this interview is uh, just another shining example of who this big, sexy daddy is. So let's get into it, guys. This is Effie. I am so excited to have you back on the show. But for me, it's the first go because I was not I was, you know, I was overseeing the first one when the amazing Lita was interviewing you. But now I get to do it. Well, I have to thank you because not only have you given me the chance to speak with the lovely Lita, Amy Dumas, we got to go river tubing after we did the interview. I know. It was incredible. It was a really, it was a perfect afternoon of confusing proportions. You know, like when you're a kid, you're like, one day you're going to wake up and you're river tubing with Lita. <laughs> you're like, no way. But I was, it was incredible. And also I did not know that you were overseeing. So like when we got to the ending, you were like, that was great. I was like, I'm glad I didn't know you were here. I didn't know we had the, the, the watch over of what was going on, but you know, it makes sense. You want to hear what's going on your show. 
the thing is, I obviously full wholeheartedly trust her. I trust you. I trust everybody. I felt like that was on me where I was like, I guess I should be here. Right. <laughs> Do the old managerial duty. Like, I guess my name's in the show. I guess I, I, I didn't have the baby yet at that point. So it was OK for me to. to you had a little more time then. Yeah. The baby was with you. But now, I mean, you're with the baby. That has to be. Incredible. You're coming up on what, like a, about a year here? She just hit a year yesterday. Holy moly. Yesterday was a year. Thank you. I know it's really crazy. Like I even feel like this morning, like looking at her, I'm like, you're like a kid. I mean, she's, she's a year, but it's different than when they're like this little like larva being into like, now she's like, she's fucking with it. She's so cool. Yeah. I mean, everybody's baby is kind of a swaddling cloth with a face for a while, but now you get to sort of see the mannerisms come out and, I'm sure there's a lot more exploration going on. Dangerous territory is just around the corner. She definitely has like both of our spirits, which could be like kind of combustible, I feel. So it's very cute right now, but I'm sure shit's going to hit the fan once she's like really up and moving and like, oh, God. Well, I see. I found my calling this year as a gay uncle because my partner's sister had a baby. So I get to come in. I play with the baby. I hold the baby. And then when the baby's done with it, I kind of hand the baby back over, you know? That's the sweet spot to be in for sure. It's very nice. I mean, I love having my own baby, of course. But yeah, it's nice just be like, bye. Oh, I'm going to go sleep in now. I can stay up late. Yeah, this baby isn't fun anymore for <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay, so it's been a year since you've been on the show. And a lot has happened for you in this last year. I mean, holy shit. Are you exhausted? You are doing it all. I've tried to find my moments of like, I'm going to collapse on the couch and admitting to myself, like sometimes a Tuesday is sort of like a Sunday. Now, today we are recording on a Tuesday, so it's not. But last Tuesday was actually my birthday and I had to do nothing except for sit around the house. My partner's been working from home for a while. So I do have the time during the week of like, hey, we get four full days and nights together or whatever it may be. And then I'm back on the road. So I try to look even busier than I am sometimes. But then I also sometimes have to go, you don't have to do everything because I really have been doing a lot. But luckily, like this weekend, I went back to River City Wrestling Con, which I'd been to two years before and the year before. And being reminded that I was less bloody and less cut up and um, a little less tired this year was kind of a nice thing when people were seeing me. They said, last year, you were a mess. And I was like, I was a mess. I'm glad I'm less of a mess this year. Do you find it hard to like not do all of the things like once you're going because you are your own machine? That's hard. It is hard. And sort of the way I've managed to live off of being Effie, I have to have a lot of different segments of Effie that are producing funds for the system. I always joke that everybody, you know, pick the way you want to pay off the deficit. We're fighting against having money. I have to stay busy to a certain point. But it is also about kind of reflecting on like, hey, do I need to bump, you know, 20 times this month or can I bump 10 times and then parlay that out into other things? I've had to sort of find a position where there's not a polite way to say it, but like, I don't have anything to prove to anyone anymore. Uh, I prove to myself and I prove to the people who come to see me that I can do the job, but I'm not going out and saying like, I have to complicate this or if I don't do this, someone will think less of me. It's sort of picking and choosing the best parts of what I want to do versus I feel obligated to have to be a part of every single thing if it's wrestling related bumps aside even on like the business side of things of like we've got to push out the social media we've got events that need to be promoting like that's the stuff that i don't know that other people understand how much work it is to really keep those wheels spinning outside of just seeing the show that happens in the ring 
The older I get, the more I realize that the desire to not be told what to do and the desire to have a direct deposit hit every two weeks, there, there's like a, there's a real friction and balance to it. And I've really, I've tried to segment the two sides of Effie, like a restaurant. I have a back of house Effie who's the cook in the back covered in tattoos, smoking cigarettes going, she'll take it with ranch because I'm not remaking this thing. And then there's front of house Effie, which is dressed up and seating you and making sure your meal is good and checking in on you. And to be both of those can be a little daunting. So some of those back of house tasks, I have found that there are other people who can do them better than me. And if I'm willing to pay a little bit of money out to these people that I know that I trust to help me out with this stuff, it's better off. I think back to when my dad taught me how to change oil. Uh, He said, some people are good at changing oil. You should pay them to do it. And that mentality of like pay the people who are better at things is it, it seems like it's eating into my pocket. For instance, I've been working with Noviria Management on the West Coast. Uh, Sydney there has helped me with merchandising. They've helped us set up tag team meet and greets at toy stores with me and Alley Catch. And having someone to do that, I don't feel like I have to be, you know, the front of the store and doing the signings and doing the meet and greets. It's a very much more enjoyable thing for the fans and for me, because if you've come up to me at a table and it's just me, it's me very sweaty after a match going, I don't know if I have an XL, let me dig. And then I go under the table for 30 seconds. It's not efficient for anyone. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to piece back those parts of Effie while like, I mean, I'm independent. It's just me. So any help I can get, I have to sort of make sure it's within my budget and reason, but the growth, the growth of letting other people help me. I've learned that this year. What a learning curve. That's something I still feel like I wrap my head around. I'm like, I can do it. I can do everything. No problem. And then, yeah, you're under the table digging for things for an hour when somebody else could have just maybe nicely organized it and knew exactly where the things were and you pay them X amount to do that. Delegate the duties. Right. And I, and the problem has been, Hey, Oh, F you don't like to ask for help. That's part of it. But then the other part is, I don't know if I can explain to you exactly what I need help with. And by the time I'm done giving this lesson, I may as well have just done the thing myself versus teaching you everything. You know, here's the voice you need to post on Instagram. And that's not something you can explain to people. The voice is me going, Ooh, you can't. That's like having children too. You're like, never mind. I'll do it myself. It's just easier. You clean up the toys. (laughs) Don't just put them under the bed. (laughs) Don't give me a baby with a dirty diaper. There's rules around here. Good Lord. That's a good rule. Honestly, how was sort of the the lull and then boom of indie wrestling since the pandemic. I think what's been so confusing is like, I quit my job in February of 2020 very valiantly. It was like, I can do this. I'm making so much money. And then obviously the pandemic hit and I was already set up to move to Atlanta. I was already set up to not have a job and just be out of this city. So the lull for me was like, if I feel a lull, I'm going to jump on anything I can. And someone was joking during the pandemic. They were like, as long as you know MS Paint and have some money, Effie will come do your show. Like they've seen me on posters where they're like artistic HD, beautiful event posters. And then there's the posters where you're like, this is a town you've never heard of in Alabama. Please come out and look. I'll take all of them. And so coming out of the pandemic and having a little bit more of a choice with as much wrestling as going on, it is nice to have a little bit of your, your legs under you of knowing what you want to do and knowing what you're comfortable doing as a performer. But during that pandemic time, it was like, if I felt the lull, I need to be doing something else. And I was doing everything from like, I'll be in your short film if you pay me and fly me out. I'll do three matches in a day if I can show up and do it. And then obviously getting on Twitch has been a game changer because every week I get to watch wrestling. I watch more wrestling than I've ever watched before of all types, but I'm getting people who are coming to me at live shows going, 
either we found you from Twitch or even better, we found all of these wrestlers on the show from your show on Twitch. We found out about so many new talents and we had to come out and see it. I think we often forget in the middle of wrestling that like we're a niche of a niche of a niche. The more people we can get involved in any way is awesome. And so while I'm sitting around bored, we can't leave our house. We're in lockdown. I'm like, I know all of these wrestlers. All these matches are out there. I have a voice where I'm understanding from a personal level. These people I've been around, let's show them to everybody. And it's, it's worked out really well. And it's kept me busy and uh, on top of the scene, if you will. What are some of the things that you like the things and people that you discovered while watching all of these different indie events and promotions and things that maybe you wouldn't have stumbled across otherwise? Okay, so immediately what comes to mind is you're Canadian. So this is exciting. Give it to me. Uh, There's a Canadian Backyard Wrestling Federation. They seem to perform between apartments or in any field they can find. But there's one performer in particular called Miniac, and she is like a powerhouse hardcore hoss. And these matches aren't taking place with fans. They're taking place outdoors. There's weapons. They're in between buildings. There's like children watching from the side of the building. And to see the way they tell the story and the way they kind of take over wrestling, you don't have the fans cheering over it. I can hear everything you're saying. I can hear everything going on. So like when Maniac's like, I'm going to get a stop sign and bash it against your head. You're like, I bet she will. And those matches that I started including as kind of like, here's the sillier side of wrestling. Fans were coming back every week going like, where's a new Maniac match? Where's a new hardcore match? And so hopefully, hopefully she's still active and we can, now that things are restricting, get her to come be hardcore for all these. Bring people. baby down. Oh, you know, Montreal always does things like just that like little left of center that works perfectly for Montreal and for what that is. And the people that get that fucking love it. And there's just something really cool and quirky about everything that comes out of Montreal, I find. There's also a spirit to them too. That's like this French Canadian thing where it's like, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. We love it. You should too. And why don't you like, what's wrong with you? Like you think this is weird. This isn't weird. You're weird. And that's sort of like casual, like, I can't believe you think this is weird. There's a confidence to that, that like you should have about all the weird things you like. I feel like that kind of just perfectly summed up Sami Zayn, who like when you meet him and you're talking to him and you're like the things that he is into and the way he passionately talks about them is like, oh, shit, you're right. I guess I should be. Of into course, thing we that all you're should love about. that. Of course. It's beautiful. And it's I think there's something about being able to back up why you like something. Not that you should have to. But if people want to put you in that corner, I do feel like the people of Montreal are like, here's the reasons why this works. And I'm sorry, you're not smart enough to understand. It. <laughs> yeah, you're not educated enough. You you wouldn't understand if you don't understand it, then hit the bricks. Um, What else keeps you inspired? What else are you watching and listening to reading? What like? Do you change it up a lot or do you kind of stick to I'm like a 90s kid. I kind of stick to the same shit that I know as I try to like branch. I'm like, wait, what else is happening in the world? Do you keep your finger on the pulse? I think I'm addicted to information. And the more I've come to like terms with that is it's helped me know that it's okay if I want to watch weird documentaries, if I want to watch movies that are very strange, if I want to go back and watch a bunch of like 30 slapstick, you know, that would have been uh, silent film stuff. All of this stuff is fine because in the end, and this is going to sound really big brain, everything as a reference and every piece of information, it's going to help me communicate with someone. And I'm a believer that like when I was growing up, I don't think I had great teachers a lot of the time. Uh, And this is like a little bit like you should teach me because, you know, but 
I think if you're a good teacher, there shouldn't have to be a lot of extra explanation. And so by having every part of information and everything I can reference to, no matter what kind of person I'm talking to, I think that I can be read much easier and, and be much more accessible when I'm trying to explain something to someone versus just going like, here's the quadratic formula. Instead, I can find some strange way to, to ease it in or, or make it feel like, hey, this has to do with something you're interested in too. I will watch, see, go to anything. I mean, I'm historically like I'll land at a show early and you'll find me at an art museum. Like if I don't have to be at the venue, I'm not going to be there. I'll be around town. Uh, Columbus, Ohio. I had all day in Columbus, Ohio, and I got to go to the art museum. I got to see some old Lichtenstein works before he was even doing the heavy pop art. And then I use my AMC Stubbs rewards. This is not an advertisement, but I can go see three movies a week. So when I have this extra time, even if it's not a good movie, it's not really costing me anything. So I went and saw a movie and like it. Yeah, sometimes it's a nap space for me. But if I'm in a town with nothing to do, am I going to go sit in the agricultural building that we're going to wrestle in in nine hours and we think all day about our match? Or am I going to go explore this city that I'm in for a little while and see what I can get out of it? You know, sometimes boots on the ground and doing the weird stuff is the best way to explore these places. And at least I feel like I've been there. I mean, there are times in the pandemic where you're like, you're like, what's Los Angeles like? And you're like, we wore our mask and sat inside. John, and I used to always find like, like quirky, weird little like dive bars, places. Yeah. If you find parks somewhere, the different museums, there's so many different little things to explore, especially if you're like not in one of those like awesome, like landmark cities. I like finding the like weird other little subcultury things like the Atlas Obscura of America is the best. Yeah. The weird stuff. Also when I'm on the road with Alley Catch and we're going to have a match, if we don't go to a weird brunch restaurant, we're probably not going to win. <laughs> I am looking for the strangest brunch restaurants in your neighborhood. And what we found is like the places we are more nervous to go into because they are kind of these backwoods places or they're in the country. The people there have been even nicer and they see you and they're like, you look a little weird. Let's find out more. It's never the clause you expect. It's more like, wow, I didn't know this world existed. You didn't know my world existed. We had a great breakfast. Let's have a big day. You get a feel for the real America. We're not as pointed at each other as everyone would make you think on the news most of the time. That's actually really true. Like there's sometimes when you can just go out. Like I remember I was like really busy doing something in New York one time and I was waiting to meet a girlfriend. She was running late and I popped into this little sidebar and this woman that was working the front door was like, 80 years old. She was working just for like a thing to do. And you put down your phone. You're not like looking at dumb shit that doesn't matter. And just to like interact with someone that you would never cross their path in any other circumstance. It's really nice to just have those conversations with people. And yeah, realize like, hey, maybe like not everyone is pure shit. It's quite nice. Yeah. And, and maybe there are experiences that I wouldn't expect these people to have too. You know, you think about like, Obviously, we have a lot of interactions day to day that are very surface. And even with wrestling, it's like there are a lot of surface. Hey, how are you? How is the road? How is the trip? But when you get a little deeper with anyone, everybody has these stories. Everybody has these experiences. You've just got to approach things with like kind of an open mind and, and be a little adaptable to get people to open up more. And maybe you don't want people to open up. Maybe that's your vibe. But with me, like once again, addicted to information, I want to talk to people. I want to know what's going on. Me too. Let's drudge up the stuff that you have suppressed. What am I, I not seeing here? It. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, that's actually honestly been my biggest revelation with doing this show is how many people that I've known for years. But when you're at wrestling shows, yeah, how much time do you really have to like, hey, let's have a real heart to heart that never happens. So when I can get people on this show and I'm like, oh, my God, I just like discovered all these other things about you that otherwise I wouldn't have known if they weren't open to me, just like 
poking all these holes in them. Like, tell me this, tell me this. It's so cool to like really get to see those other side of people that I just thought that I already knew. It's pretty fascinating. There's a bigger version of it in wrestling too, where like, if you haven't met someone or if someone's getting really popular, or if, you know, you're hearing about a person's matches all the time, you know, you want to be like, who's this person? Like, what's up with them? And then when you meet and interact with these people, you're like, oh, they're just people. They do the work. They're putting in the work. It's it's not like there's a different perception, but like, it's harder to dislike a person once you've been around them and worked with them and listened to them and talked to them uh, versus what's thrown out at us about, you know, here's here's who's cool this week. Here's who's not cool. Here's who we like and don't like. This person's getting too over too fast. When you get close, it's like, we're all just people doing the work to do the thing. We all want the show to go well and we want the fans to have a good time. There's no reason to have this animosity. And the more people learn that, like, number one, we're all on the same team backstage. Number two, the people you're in the ring with, they're kind, they're kind of on the same team as you, too. It makes this job a lot easier and a lot you know, more accessible for people to enjoy themselves in versus I mean, people know when they've been at shows and you're backstage, you're like, I don't know who to talk to or what to say or what to do. I never want that vibe around any of this because it's it's a hard enough job as it is. You know, it's a fantasy job, but it's hard. Yeah, it, you're right. And it, it can kind of feel that way walking in somewhere like I mean, I even remember feeling that way a little bit because I've only been in WWE. And then when I would go backstage with Johnson has at AEW, I'm like, where do I go? I don't work here. I don't know yeah, where am I supposed like, to stand here. <laughs> yeah. No. Can I eat some of this food? Can I have this drink? Yeah, I'm like tiptoeing a little bit, even though that's like not the vibe. But I'm just like, I'm being respectful of everybody else's space because I know that it's not my space. Yeah. And you, yeah, I mean, you, you can go too far with it, too. You don't want to be like, did you see Renee come in here and she ate all the all the catering and kept throwing her stuff everywhere and said, Vince used to have somebody get the trash. No, like you don't want to be that person either, but it's a fine line, but I think it should be a less fine line in our minds. Like the second we can walk in and act like normal human beings, everybody gets a lot more done. Fight fans come out swinging with a no sweat first bet on FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, new customers get up to $1,000 back in free bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with the promo code Renee. Bet on who will win knockouts when the fight will end and so much more. Here's the fight that I am looking to. You know that I got to lean with my girl, Misha Tate, making her flyweight debut against Lauren Murphy coming up July 2nd. I think that Misha is going to come in there swinging for the fences. This is do or die for Misha Tate with her flyweight debut. I think she's going to absolutely dominate. I know how much hard work she's been putting in. So Misha Tate, take my money, girl. So guys, if you haven't tried FanDuel, now is the perfect time to give it a shot. Join now with promo code Renee to get a no sweat first bet. That's up to $1,000 back in free bets if your first bet doesn't win. Exclusively on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Disclaimer, 21 in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467369 for New York. 
The TN Red Line, 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee, 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Let's talk a little weird wrestling and the fun side of wrestling because that's what draws me into wrestling. That's always what has made me a fan of it. I love the bullshit of wrestling. I always call it that affectionately. Um, my favorite wrestler is Gold Dust. That's what made me love everything about this world. Um, what drew you in? Someone tweeted the other the, today. They tweeted today that like, I love the in-ring of wrestling and I don't like anything else. I was like, okay, that's fine. But go do MMA because professional wrestling is every bit of it. It is the spectacle. It is the character. It is the uh, the old timey sort of circus show. Uh, and it is built on juxtaposition, which is my favorite word. I think we should we should make the word smaller because there's no other word that ends in to position. Just jux. Like, look at the jux of this match. And sometimes people forget that, like, juxtaposition is the king of wrestling. If there's not a question of how these things are going to work together or how these opposite forces are going to react, then I don't think it's as interesting. And so when you have the full show, yes, you should have the hardcore drama and you should have the the athleticism. You should have the gasping from these big spots. But in the middle of all of this, if every single thing was dead serious, if every single thing was hardcore, then you're not going to get those moments of up and down like the roller coaster. I think about, you know, a wrestling show and a match. They're both a lot like a roller coaster. We've heard that. But I also think that the second time you're going up the pulley, the first time you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. You get through those first runs. You get through a couple loops. That second pulley, when you felt some of it, is just as necessary to the ride as the first pulley and almost more importantly so pacing things down, taking things a little less seriously for a minute. Does every show need to be goofy top to bottom? Possibly. But having that mix and being able to fill that role and kind of, you know, I've started doing seminars, which feels bizarre to me, but reminding people that like filling your utility for the night is more important than being the star every night. Some nights my utility is, hey, we've got a seven minute spot here that we need to ease the crowd out. We've got a really heavy segment coming up. Can you just do something easy, get it home? Cool. That's a great place for me. But sometimes it's, hey, we need to convey a little more emotion. We need to have a longer run. We need you to get a little more extreme. I want to find my place on the card to make sense and not ever feel like I'm just shoehorned to be there. Like, We've got all these matches. Now Effie has to have a full match. You know it's going to be 20 minutes. You know he's going to take all the time in the world versus we got to see him. He filled that role. It was in between two heavy moments. We love it heavy, but we need a little levity. I want to fill in any of those roles. And I historically have been the guy that you can go to on any show and go, can you add 15 or take off 10? I can fit any role there. And I think that having the spectacle, having the circus, it wouldn't be possible without that. It's funny. I was watching a show the other day and yeah, it did sort of feel like everything was 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, where it's like, it's hard. It's hard to consume that. It's like overwhelming of like, oh my gosh, sprinkle in a little bit of light for me. Like, let's just have a little fun for five, seven minutes, get that spot in there. Then, you know, get back to some of that heavy lifting. But that really is always the stuff that I love. Like even when I was in WWE, I'm like, that wedding's coming up. Okay. Like I love that shit. And I know that there's people that fucking hate it, but I love that goofy stuff. I think it's really fun. And I feel like it's really fun for the performers to get to have those moments as well. Instead of it always just being like bumps, bumps, bumps to like, let's just like fuck around a little bit. It's also good for like moving these narratives forward. If the narrative was always being moved forward by just like we fought and here was the result. Now I want to fight you because of this. It's just not interesting to an audience. And when you have these little moments where you can pepper in like, yeah, he was too goofy in this match with him and now he wants revenge or, you know, he made fun of him in this segment and made him look like a fool and dumped slime all over him. 
there's at least some kind of uh, something to grip on to forward your character and, and have a reason for why they're there versus like, well, I'm fighting because I'm a pro wrestler and I want to prove I'm the best pro wrestler. That's like interesting for like two weeks. And then like, give me a little meat on the ribs. Yeah. Yeah. Let's back it up a little bit. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I love the the ridiculous shit. Shout out to gold dust. Always my guy. Like I'm really fascinated with taking ridiculous stuff very seriously. Cause I always feel like in wrestling, there's always been those moments well, how important is that? Because if you don't take it seriously and make it that, it's going to fall so flat. You I think have to, to a little story it. I did with a Midwest talent named Ace Perry, who's been on a few of my big gay brunches, where I beat him in a match and won his soul. I won possession of his soul. And it sort of fell by the wayside. Didn't for like a while. Millhouse and Bart do something like that at one point? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, The Simpsons did it, and I'm going to do it yeah. again in the wrestling ring. But, you know, I beat him with a roll up in this match that was pretty back and forth, a little silly, very effy. And all of a sudden the lights go out, druids come out. I start speaking in tongues. I take his soul. Two years later, he says, I want the soul back. I said, I'll keep it protected. We do a very serious hardcore match at one of the big gay brunches in Tampa where, I mean, we're beating the crap out of each other. I think he hit me with a chair 10, 15 times. And I end up winning barely. And I say that he's ready and he has his soul back. This whole thing is stupid and ridiculous. But when we both take it dead seriously and you can't really see through it, it's the same sort of contempt and passion and wrestling violence that you would see in any other match for a championship. But this is for a man's soul. He lost it and he thought he didn't need it. I took his soul because if you don't have a soul, you can get a lot further in this business. I'll hang on to it for you, kid. There's a seriousness in it, but there's so much stupid around it that you go, we're going to take this dead serious and we're going to see how people play along. I feel like you do such a great job at swinging the audience into coming around on your character. Do you put a lot of thought into that or is it just that people watch it and there's like something really infectious about it that they just fall in love with? Or is it by design? It's a little by design. It's a little accidental. And part of it, I started leaning into the design because Kevin Kelly pulled me aside a long time ago at a PWX show and he was helping agent and he goes, I like it. I just, I've never seen anything online of you actually wrestling. And I was like, exactly. There shouldn't be anything online of me wrestling. I even did a highlight video that was like the top 12 moves of Effie. And it's just things I'm saying in between doing moves, being sassy. And so there was this idea sort of that like, before you get to me in person, you should have almost a negative thought about Effie. Everyone's talking about Effie. Everybody loves Effie. This Effie guy, what's so good about Effie? And then you get there in person and I sort of try to connect to each room and this sounds big brain, but it's really not. I read the room. I check in with people. I see who's at the show. I see what the show has. And I try to fit in the best I can there. And because of that, like there's a different mindset that helps me excel versus like Effie does these four moves. You can reverse this one. This will be my finish. We'll trade for falsies. It's like, maybe that's not what the room needs right now. Maybe we need something different. And so by reading the room and sort of working with the audience, instead of going like, this is what I am and this is what I do. There's a lot that's set in stone. I mean, the entrance is set in stone. That's me going through rituals to be comfortable in there. But every match to me should feel a little different. And I've argued with guys on this because I used to do stand-up comedy. And they would say, if you don't come practice your sets, if you don't come do the same set, if you don't do the same set and get it right. And it was like, I don't need this restriction. In my world, I'm given a task. You have this much time with a person. There's a person who's going to win and a person who's going to lose. Here's what we would like to see out of it. How best can I use my creative skill to fit that task? 
and to give the paying audience the best version of the show that they need while not detracting from the other parts of the show. You know, if I know the finish is a tombstone for the title at the end, I'm probably not going to spam a bunch of tombstones, but there's not a lot of people just stopping in front of someone on their knees. So I've usually got the clearance to at least open up the story with that. I, I want people to have strong opinions either way. You know, people have strong opinions on Cena, on Roman Reigns, on Hulk Hogan. They've all made a lot of money. And in my opinion, the bands and albums and music I've loved the most, I didn't really like at first. And then I got addicted to it. If you have a slight negative towards me at the beginning, I've got a way bigger chance of swinging you big to my side if you actually come around to it. Is there a moment or like a fan that comes to mind that this person just hated you and then by the end was like fully embracing you in the merch? Everybody loves Effie. I can point to entire cities in the state of Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> Where, like, I've jokingly said it, but I've been like, if I was as over here, you know, now as I was in 2016, then Trump may not have won the election at all. I went into towns like, you know, I think of Pavo, Georgia. Pavo, Georgia hated me. We wrestled in an elementary school. I wrestled there all the time when I was starting out in my career. But as they watched me work, as they watched my personality, these very far right Republican South Georgia people were all of a sudden cheering their hearts out for a gay boy. They were buying T-shirts from the gay boy. He's wearing pantyhose. And it's this bizarre thing where wrestling fans, they have very strong opinions on everything. But when it comes to the curtain, they're kind of going to give it an objective look, no matter how ridiculous or crazy it is. And so... By going in and going, I know you have preconceived notions about my wrestling, number one, but about who I am as a person, number two, if I can win them over with the wrestling and entertainment, it kind of starts to soften their mind to everything else a little bit. And I'm not being effy just to go out and be like, look, gay people are okay to be around. You don't have to be hateful. But if that's like a secondary thing that comes with it, just because I'm being myself and performing, that's awesome. I love seeing people turn around on it. And I mean, there are people who have yelled slurs at me and then spent money at the store a month later. It's a bizarre thing. How does that make you feel? Like, are you always happy that that's happened? Or is there still part of you that's like, well, fuck, you were really mean at the beginning. Like, I think I had to recognize like my privilege early. I'm like, I'm a six foot tall white dude who, if I really want to play it up, I can probably pass this straight. Not necessarily with my rat tail right now, but if I wanted to do it, I could. And so having strength, having ability, having the body I have, having the voice I have, being able to speak and being educated. I wanted to be at the front of kind of getting in front of people who are hateful. I think there are a lot of people in our community, they don't need that violence. They don't need that extra fight and they shouldn't have to yell or explain themselves all the time. But if I'm going to be up and angry anyway, then I want to fight it back. I want to be on the front of it. And if I can change your mind with taking things a little less seriously, easing you in versus coming right with a knife right away. I don't mind demeaning myself almost a little bit to make sure the bigger, the bigger picture is seen. And it's, I mean, it's simple stuff like talking to someone. I had someone during a show and they used a slur against me and I finished the match and then I got in their face in front of everyone. And I said, I hope you have a gun in the car because if I find you outside the building, I'll tear you up. This is very aggressive in front of everyone. But then I pulled him to the side and we talked and he cried and he had a conversation with me that was very long. And it's not necessary for me as a performer to have to come educate you and pull you aside and be your mom. But if I can do that and it stops someone else from having to deal with that in the future, or if they leave with a better understanding, I think that that's worth my effort and worth my time. And yeah, the reactive, you know, I'm going to kick your ass in the parking lot. It's a good little threat to let them know it's serious, but actually kicking someone's ass in the parking lot, they're just going to hate gay people more. They might come back with a weapon next time. I have the ability to get in front of it. And I'm willing to see if through gentle conversation, we can get somewhere or through very powerful conversation, we can get somewhere. 
but I don't want to leave something hanging and just go, that's just how they are. That's who they are. Because I think everybody with a little education can come around to at least being polite enough to interact with everyone. How much has wrestling changed uh, from from the time when you started to where it's at now in terms of acceptance and, and, and all that? We're in a really wild spot for me personally, because I'm running these LGBTQ shows and there are more and more talent who are feeling comfortable, who are being themselves, who are expressing who they are, their gender identities, their sexual identities. And so for me, it's like I'm trying to keep up to make sure I give the spots to all these people that are deserving. And to even have that problem is so wild and bizarre, because when I came in, like I was 23, I was newly coming out. I started wrestling like you heard on the last one with Lita by taking too many drugs and going, I don't know what's real anymore. Let me go find out. And entering in that space early on, it was like, oh, I'm just playing a character. I didn't want to step on people's toes. But then when people start figuring it out and you start realizing that like, I'm not dealing with hatred backstage. And if I am, they're not doing it to my face. What I'm dealing with is a lot of people leaning in and going, I haven't had anyone to talk to about this before. I've never met a person like this before, which sounds bizarre to be like, I've never hung out with gay people. But a lot of people in these small towns, especially in the United States South, especially being in the Bible Belt, I almost became like sort of a a helpful computer table of ask your gay questions that you have. And I think being forward, being out, being public, I don't want to say I was a huge part of the change, but I mean, I was there for the change. I was making it happen. I was cutting with the machete in the front of the jungle and eating all the fruits and dealing with all the snakes, but it's, it's a much easier environment to get into now. And I think a lot of the people that we started with that were considered bullied or, or bullies or, or they were treating people negatively or they were putting people through physical abuse to be a wrestler. What we're finding now is, hey, if the whole show is good, then more people will come and more people will stay. If everybody's match sucks and you don't help them make their match better, then the whole show is going to suck and no one's staying around for you anyway. So there seems to almost be beyond anything LGBTQ, a mentality shift of, hey, we're all wrestlers. We all paid too much for these stupid costumes we're wearing. We all paid too much to license a song. We all paid too much to train. Maybe at this point, when we are trying to gather people to come to our show, we should help each other out because you know, if, if you're on a Broadway play and the opening number is shit and you're in, in the backstage going, God, dude, he can't sing a lick. The rest of the show is going to be shit because you've started the show bad. Don't let bad get by, but do it through a way that is uplifting and a way that is positive because the people that you're dog shitting on now that you think are bad at wrestling or you don't want to be around or they don't deserve to be in your locker room. It's a mountain, baby. And we're going to go up the mountain and down the mountain. And if you are not the mountain, you're just going to be seeing me on both sides of it. So being that central, you know, hey, we are here to put on a good product. We are motivated to do it. I want to have a better match than you just because I want us to push each other, not because I want you to fail. Well, I mean, it kind of goes back to what we were saying at the beginning, too, where it's like we're all on the same boat. We're all in the same ship. Let's just work together and make it all. It's better for everybody. Yeah, just kind of reiterating that. Um, here's the thing. When I was getting ready for this, I went on Wikipedia. And I'm not going to lie. I was a little pissed to see that you were born in 1990. Oh, no. Like, what? Damn it. My mortal flesh was born in 1990. <laughs> the youth of this man. I think to myself as a, a spiritual vessel. And I have figured out recently that this mustache is going to be a hell of a reveal. Because when I decide to finally get rid of this, I'm going to look way younger than I even look now. <laughs> Hang on to it. Um, what was it like being a kid of the 90s growing up in the South? What was like your experience of that? 
Both of my grandfathers were pastors in their respected religions. So I had a Methodist pastor and I had a Baptist pastor and I was a very uh, sheltered kid in that sense, but also like I was kind of a hellion. And I think that the spirit of the South being a little against me as a person, and it's not like I'm holding on to that all the time, but it's sort of, it has kept an armor on me that I have appreciated later in life and being around people who you don't know if you're going to be fully accepted all the time, but still choosing to wear the short shorts and having a rat tail and wearing the big lady sunglasses you're constantly up against a little bit of friction, but I don't think I'd have it any other way. If I was waking up every day and it was perfect and it was utopia, I don't know if I would have that same fight and that same claw. So I think the South has helped me get a lot of that kind of fuck you spirit and to keep a lot of that. But also I'm not leaving the South anytime soon because I've been all over the place now. The food here, nobody makes biscuits, you know, like, like the South. My, my dad once said to me when I was going to New York City for the first time with my friends and I was like 13 or 14, he goes, what are you going to eat up there? And I said, I guess whatever they have. And he goes, you know, there ain't no good food above the Mason Dixon. And I was like, that's a crazy concept. How could you believe that? And now 20 years later, I've traveled the world. It's true. The food is just not good anywhere else. I'll put up with like a slight bit of hatefulness to keep the South, you know, in my heart. What is your dream menu? Oh, Okay. So see, I like the other version of this question that's darker, which is like, what's your last meal on death row? <laughs> okay. We can go that way too, if you want. I'm a big Cracker Barrel fan. And recently they have gotten the, the hash brown casserole as an entree dish. So I would get the entree hash brown casserole with the bacon on top. I want fried apples. I want apple butter with my biscuits. I want sawmill sausage gravy. I want everything that's going to just keep me attached to a chair. And my trainer early on was like, don't eat on show days, which is the worst advice of all time. Don't, don't. What I've tried to do now is the complete opposite of that, which is how much can I eat and still be able to just do the job correctly? I want to be able to wrestle at any time of day, but I also don't want to say no to cinnamon rolls. And like, if I feel like having a crunch wrap 10 minutes before my match, I better still be able to hit everything. I'm a big food guy. I love eating. I could never do the chicken and broccoli and, and rice thing. It's just not going to work. It's so sad. It makes me sad when I see it. I'm like, no, can't we just like eat in moderation? Can we just do that, please? I think it dulls your personality, too. When you have all these different foods, you're kind of like vibrant and wild. If I'm eating broccoli and chicken, I'm I'm pretty boring, too. You know, I, I understand food is nutrition, but not really. No, I think that we can split the difference on that for sure. I'm, I mean, literally in the last like couple of days, it's been a complete and utter shit. So I'm like, we're, we're going to order pizza. Oh, it's our daughter's birthday. Let's have six cakes. What else do we need? Some chicken fingers. Great. Um, do you make a biscuit? Do you make a good Southern biscuit? I can. I actually, this is odd. I, I was about to go to culinary school before I went to college. I was like, I was real into cooking for a long time to the point where I have a wonderful aunt who is trying to get me to go sit at the Emerald Lagasse show at one point. And it's not something that I've like lost. I've never lost a passion for cooking. I can always cook for myself, but I, I like being able to not have to rely on myself cooking. You know what I mean? Like eggs in the morning, it's easy. If it's cooking a meal for dinner, easy. A lot of times I take over the cooking in my house because my partner doesn't like to use any sort of seasoning at all ever. Oh my gosh. That's like John. Oh no. It, it almost is just like, well, whatever it's food. I'll eat it. I can't do that. Totally kills me. So if I don't cook, like if I'm like, well, I don't want to cook tonight. We should eat out when he's like, I'll cook. It's like, nah, I'm going to cook. I don't, it's going to be broccoli and chicken. I can't handle this. If John's in the kitchen while I'm cooking, I have to like hide if there's like any garlic, any bit of like onion, even onion powder, like anything like that. He's like, well, 
Well, why are you using so much oil? I'm like, you should see what happens when you leave the room. Shit really hits the fan. <laughs> How are we out of butter again? I don't know, babe. Yeah, no I was clue. doing that in moderation because I knew you were here. Wait, what happens when you're gone? Shit. Oh, I love cooking. I love food. Well, you're like official. You're like a professional cookbook person now. I mean, just because I said so. I don't think I don't no, know. No, I mean, like, I it's, it's all about I how tried. it's put out into the world. And like officially, if I can pay to learn from your cooking skills, that's that's professional. It's it's kind of like in wrestling when people are like, we're. I hope I make it. And I go, people paid to see you do this thing. I think you made it. I think you're there. I don't know what making it is other than people paid to see me on purpose. Hell yeah. That's incredible. Football fans, check out the three and out podcast with John Middlecoff only on the volume podcast network. John brings his unique perspective as an ex NFL scout to the volume to break down all the news around the NFL and college football. Whether you're looking for game predictions, coaching searches, the ins and outs of the NFL front office, even an occasional golf tip. John has you covered. Download three and out with John Middlecoff only on the volume podcast network. Um, I feel like you and I have something in common that is a flashy jacket. We love a good jacket up in here. Let's talk a little fashion. Also, was I pandering today for you in my Elton John shirt? You better believe it. I am obsessed. And I also like I got to see Elton live one time not to derail this. The man played for three hours with no opener and then signed autographs for everybody in the first and second row for 30 minutes. And you're going, you don't have to do any of that. You could have paid five songs. And I would have said, that's incredible. We got to look at Elton John. The man went all the way. He's amazing. I got to see him actually very briefly too. me and uh, Tennille Dashwood. She was in Vegas and she was like, do you want to come? And I was like, okay, but. I missed Benny and the Jets, which fucking kills me, but it's okay. The rest of it was amazing. Benny and the Jets live, incredible, because that swell up feels exactly the same as it is on record when you hear the crowd noise, the people waking up and knowing it's magic. Now, okay, back to utility. Uh, I've had people come to me and be like, you're very fashionable, Effie. And this is not true. I'm here to tell you it's not true. This time of year, especially living in the South, my maximum is three pieces of clothing, my preferred is two pieces of clothing. When I'm wrestling, though, I want to be like the gay Ronald McDonald, not like I'm providing bad hamburgers, but I want to be very obvious and very iconic and things that are there for a reason. And so this big purple, flashy, pink, spiky, I have multiple ones. It is going to be over. Right. And you're going, why? You can't just say that. Effie. It is. It's a very cool jacket. It weighs 23 pounds. It's very heavy. But people don't realize that jacket comes off. Before the match ever starts. Now I have set myself up for a challenge of you are over in the jacket. You look cool like a gay superhero. Can you be as cool as your jacket for the rest of this match? Can you keep the people this excited? And then I think there's some confusion because I do wear what, uh, you know, humans call fishnet stockings. But if you've ever seen the classic Carl Weathers movie, Jesse Ventura movie Predator, the aliens in that movie are wearing fishnet stockings. And in the lore. Wait, what? Really? It's true. In the lore, they say that it is an advanced alien armor. So that's what I'm going to say, too. I'm wearing advanced alien armor. Somebody said, I can't believe you did a death match with blood and tubes and glass and pantyhose. I was like, it's advanced alien armor. And that's why I had it on. I love the fashion. I love the concept of fashion. I am lazy. 
Allie Catch is coming with me and my partner to see Lady Gaga. And she said, what outfits are we going to wear? And I was like, oh, no, I have to go to a concert and dress up. This is a lot of effort and work. But I know those two are going to look so sickening that I've got to, like, pull something out. You simply must. But also the juxtaposition of, like, every day I travel, I'm in the zip pants so I don't lose anything and, like, a tank top and whatever. If you see me in that all the time, if I put, like, 10 minutes of effort into an outfit, they're going to be like, oh, my gosh. Look at you. You're like a fashion king. That's actually true. That happens with John. He's always just in like sweatpants and like blah, blah, blah. As soon as he just like puts on a clean shirt, it's like, oh, who is this male model? It's like, all right, everyone so calm handsome. down. Was it that much? I of ironed the shirt for him. Exactly. Shit. I did the laundry. I know it kills me. Meanwhile, I'm like trying really hard. I'm like, does this hat match? Can I put on this? Is there sequence? Do I need a fringe? What do I need? There's sort of the expectation of beauty. It's like, well, how many times do I tell her she looks great if she always looks great? I better remind John he looks nice right now. I don't know when I'll have the chance again. There was there was like a wedding photo that you attended where he was in full just John going out to do some errands. And I was obsessed because you looked gorgeous. Everyone looks beautiful. He's just like, what's up? I'm here. I made it. That's your gift. In his defense. Well, first of all, I guess that was his attitude, but it was more so that he just so he had to fly into Miami, take an Uber to where the wedding was, got there as Carmela was literally walking down the aisle. So I was like, you better scoot into this, into our seats like real fast. So his his suit was back at like the where our like table was, but I don't think he ever he maybe changed his shirt, but the fanny pack stayed put. Oh yeah. It's got everything in it. You can't change that. Okay. So when you were drumming up ideas for your look, for the jacket, for all of these things, who's on like the inspo board? Originally to start, I rewatched my first match the other day where I came out in yellow biker trunks and a jean jacket vest, but I was still like talking like me, like really drumming up a storm and Southern and a mess. And you could tell that the spirit was in there. But I think when you look around at just like glam rock there was a band called the semi-precious weapons that i saw oh my god i love semi-precious weapons they're amazing i didn't think anybody else knew this band we'll see this is good because now you know that i'm ripping off justin of semi-precious weapons and you know that he writes a bunch of lady gaga's songs right he writes so many songs for oh, everybody he's, he's incredible. amazing but the first time i saw him perform he was just in a t-shirt and fishnet stockings and, and makeup everywhere yes ah! I came out to that song one time. It was too powerful of an intro song. Like it was just so over that I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with it, but seeing, you know, seeing a a grown man stand there in makeup and pantyhose and like, obviously this isn't a new trope, you know, we've, we've got glam rock and we can go back to all the different, you know, New York dolls outfits that were messing with gender. And I think there's just something iconic about immediately, you know, like I'm wearing wrestling trunks and I'm wearing women's pantyhose, Rocky Horror style. We're here in the front of you. There's nothing I have to say to convey across it. Like, yeah, I'm here to do some weird gender fuck shit that you're not ready for or you're completely (laughs) ready for. I want them to know right away. I did a seminar that William Regal was at one time and he said, uh, they tell you you've got like a, a minute before people turn on you or they're away from you. He's like, you have a second till they've basically decided. <laughs> Once you're through the curtain, they have decided. You may be able to get them back a little bit. You may have some cool tricks in there, but know that your initial appearance needs to be obvious to who you are and what you're doing. And I think I look very much so effy. And people have said to me, they go, why don't you get new trunks? I've been rocking the same three pairs of trunks for three years. It's because Effie shouldn't look like he just got dressed up for the party. I need to look like I crawled out of the gutter. I need to look like I showed up and was like, what am I doing? Is there a boy in the ring? I'll go hang out with him. I don't even know I'm in a fight. I'm just a thing that showed up and heard that I could get paid if I could last in the ring with someone. And I bet I can do it. 
And that mentality of like, yeah, he's a wrestler and he's here, but I don't know if he knows he's a wrestler. And I don't even know if he knows what the objective is yet. Now I've got the intrigue and I've got a little bit of a, a clipping you to see what's going to happen. You've been able to work with some really interesting, very like hardcore wrestlers from like Minoru Suzuki to, I mean, you've had them all. Who has been the most surprising to you that wanted to do the Effie song and dance? I have to bring this fellow up who I think, you know, um, Fandango. The best. Who, when I got to, like, I've been a Fandango fan since the moment I saw Johnny Curtis in NXT. He's weird. He had the famous line with you that is my favorite, which is, you're not even a real journalism, (laughs) Renee. Dumbass. I got to meet him in 2015 at an NXT access. I remember him telling me, he was like, you're Jack, you should wrestle. I was like, I do wrestle. And then we got to wrestle each other in Alabama. And to be in the position I was in, I was like, this is bizarre because he's going, I still have WWE brain. Like I still have fed brain. What are we going to do? How are we putting this together? We're supposed to be the main event. This is a tournament where there's so many matches and I got to be casual indie Effie and go like, here's what we're going to do, pal. And sort of guide him back into like, we don't have an agent. We have no time limit as the main. We can do whatever we want. We don't have to do anything if we don't want to. And let's make sure we're enjoying ourselves. And so to kind of see that transformation of like, I'm used to fighting for what I want. I'm used to having to take the direction to get the spot, to get on TV, to get in front of people. Now you're the focus the people are here to see you, whatever you do will work as long as you can make it work. And we're both professional athletes. Let's go do it. And I've sort of said that there's an, there's an Effie epiphany that happens and I've seen it happen. I don't want to like name everybody's name, but I'm going to kind of go through a few. So you get this Jeff Jarrett, Cardona, PCO, Jimmy Jacobs, Fandango, Minoru Suzuki, where I don't have the background of like, oh, we know he worked at Ring of Honor. He worked at NXT. He worked at Impact. We know his thing in this. We know he's safe. There's a little bit of an outlaw unsafeness to me existing. I know I'm soft and kind and gay, but I'm also hardcore and crazy. And I talk a lot of shit. And so there's this little bit of apprehension when we get in. And I made it a mission to go, I want to make sure when I'm getting these moments and getting these matches that Effie is still in this match. It's not just, oh, thank you so much for this opportunity to stand next to you and do your moves. Effie is in this match. And so I have to sometimes approach things with my Mark brain turned off. I have to turn it off completely. Like I remember sort of like having to lambast Jeff Jarrett a little bit because he wanted to do some things that I was not going to have happen. And I was not going to let happen. And you're going, this is bizarre right now that I'm holding the line to Jeff Jarrett and telling him what he's going to do. But if I don't, I'm not going to get the product I want and I'm not going to get the experience I want. And after they finish working with me, they get the moment where they let it out and they're like, that was fun. That was enjoyable. The people loved it. Or you get that moment in the middle of the ring, which this one's way more powerful, where you know we're planning to do something and it's just really loud and the people are into it and they're excited and they take a second because they just feel it. And you go, yeah, we did that together. You didn't think this was going to, you thought this was going to be a task. Uh, Jeff Jarrett famously said, where's Epi? He was calling me Epi the first time before we met. Where's Epi? Where's Epi at? And, you know, when, when that's your starting point with someone who you're supposed to be in a 50-50 feud with, you got a little work to do. But approaching everything with we're professional humans, we are both regular people. I know there's a storied history, but right now and in this moment, it's Effie and you and we've got to both make it look good. The stuff you guys did together was amazing. I have to brag on myself now that he ran back to Vince and maybe we're doing a Memphis storyline where this goes longer. But I think I deserve one more match. I was at the top of the mountain, the top of the the king of the mountain, Jeff Jarrett. Uh, 
I did not die to the guitar shot that happened in the Hammerstein ballroom. I no sold a guitar shot. I've never seen it done from Jeff Jarrett before. And second, I took the stroke, the famous Jeff Jarrett move with a guitar around my neck. I've never seen it done before. Everybody tried to talk me out of it because it's very dangerous. But I said, I have to have this moment because as you all know, I, they said, how was Jeff Jarrett? I said, I got the full Jeff Jarrett experience. I got to fight him. I got to lose to him. And I got to have him decide to change the finish halfway through a show. So you got to get the full Jeff Jarrett. And when you look back on the memoir, you go, well, yeah, he got me too. You know, like me and Vince have that in common now. Okay. So why the reason, well, not, not why the reason, but is there a part of you that does want to eventually sign with the WWE with an AEW? I know that you have purposefully not signed anywhere. Will that ever change or are you going to stay in your lane doing things your way? I think anything can change. And here's what, what I have learned is sometimes I think I know everything. I don't always know everything. And as I have grown and gotten in front of more people, as the sort of distribution of FE has become a little easier, it's very easy to stand on top of a mountain and go like, I'll never help anyone or work for anyone. But when you start understanding sort of the collaboration process of putting together a TV show, of wanting to put out a good product, of people helping people and people coming up with ideas, it sort of sounds like something I could get addicted to. But, uh, and here's where I like pat my back and go like, I'm doing it, Renee. I have a voice role on Netflix coming out soon. I am entering a new ether where I'm going to be a part of a show as a, a, a main cast member for, I believe, going into the second season. And this is something that like, I shouldn't have been able to accomplish because I'm an outlaw wrestler out here, just like working in bingo halls. So Every time I get to the point where I'm like, this would be a lot easier if you just had the paycheck every week, you could take direction, you could do your six minutes and go home. I also understand that like at 32 right now, I'm physically in the best shape I've ever been in. I can go in the ring. I can do any kind of match you want. I'm going to have the match I want to have because I know it will work, but I don't want to miss out on a time where I always feel like I'm the main event, even if I'm five minutes. I always feel like I'm the main event if I'm in control. And right now I don't want to sit around and go like, you know, I could probably do that Kenny Omega match too. I could be in that role. I could be in that place, but having to wait my turn. And it is a little selfish because right now, anybody who hires me, I'm going to come in and they're going to go, just be effy, it works. And there's a little bit of a laziness to that because sometimes it's good to fight the direction. Sometimes it's good to see if you can handle someone else's assignment instead of just making up your own. I think as I continually challenge myself and learn more and do more, I'm kind of throwing all possibilities out the window. But I do think that, you know, if you're not someone who has historically been a part of a bigger company, if you're not someone who has laurels you can rest on and bring to them with statistical data about how well you've done in other places, it is hard to make the case to be worth as much as you're worth. And so, yeah, I've got to get the shovel out every day and do the digging, but whatever gold I find is all mine. And sharing the gold when you can see the gold, it makes sense. You're seeing the gold, but I don't know what's buried still. And I don't know you know, when that time will come. I, I have always joked that like Effie's not hireable right now, but Taylor Gibson will be happy to do some under the table PR work for you because there are places where there are weak lines and being a PR person, some people think it's just do the communication when it's done. Being a PR person is thinking of every fucked up thing that's going to happen and already having a plan in front of it and stopping it before it becomes a problem. And a lot of that reactionary thinking that is big for PR and wrestling and this happened and now we have to explain it. If you can get in front of these things, I think a lot of these TV companies would have a way better time than worrying about, well, if this if this gets out or if they find out this or this, there are things that could make this industry a lot better that I think a lot of times we're scared to step on toes. We don't want to talk to the boss, man. We don't want to piss anybody off. I'm happy to piss everybody off because I'm in my mind, I'm correct. And it's at least worth a try. So 
yeah, I think there's a space for me, whether it is performing in ring or not to hopefully help wherever TV goes, but also like who has cable anymore? This is the new stand. It's all moving to digital streaming services and uh, we're all going to have to get used to that too. That's a really great analogy of like the digging in the dirt and whatever gold you find is your own. There's something obviously fucking great about that and being able to have your own business model. But my takeaway from this too, of just talking to you like this is how really well-rounded your entire business model is. Like you are not just this one dimensional, I go out and wrestle, I do that thing. You do all of those other things. And it seems like it's a pretty well-oiled machine. So kudos to you. It does seem like a well-oiled machine, but I'll tell you this, if you, this during the week part is very well-oiled, Famously, though, if you share locker rooms with me, I am a crazy person like and if it's a weekend of shows, if I'm on show two, three, four, uh, I am competent. I can do the job, but I'm also just like, oh, where are things? I don't know. Do you drive your partner crazy with that? Are you annoying to live with? When I'm home, I'm very calm and he doesn't see me at shows a lot of times. Like I brought him to the collective we did in Indiana, peak COVID and he was like, I don't care about any of this. And I was like, what are you doing? And he's over here drinking champagne with Cassandro after the match. Doesn't even know it's Cassandro. It's just like me, me and this person are hanging out and having fun. He's almost a blind eye to a lot of this stuff, which I think helps. But he doesn't dislike the wrestling. He doesn't dislike being around it. And he also said my favorite quote I've ever heard about wrestling, which is, um, I love the part when they kick out at two. And I was like, holy moly, did you just, did you just make our industry into a sentence? Like, I like when the tension is built to a point and the hero proves that they're still in it. I like when the match continues. I like when something big happens and I think it's over and it comes back. There's a purity to him that I try to maintain. And so when I'm home, like I immediately become a house husband. I'm doing laundry. I'm cooking. I'm walking the dog every day. He doesn't get that uh, full manic side of me that I think has been, it's beneficial in a live show setting, but also like when I'm at home, if I was as manic as I am at a show, I would not be a fun partner. It's really nice to be able to pick someone else's brain or get that perspective of somebody that like kind of understands what's going on with wrestling, but isn't so fucking in the weeds with it. It's nice to like pop your head above the surface and go, oh, that's what works. Right. That's why we love this. Yes. Or seeing what he reacts to, like with passion and and what gets him fired up. Like they did a pizza spot in one of the women's matches where I guess pizza had gotten in Big Swole's hair and he's he's a black man and he goes Uh uh-uh and he was furious and he said she better kick her ass she better kick her ass all over this place you don't do that that's too far i know this is wrestling but that's and was really fired up in the living room you're like and they said kayfabe was dead he also is like i don't want to go somewhere for five hours to watch you get beat up for 10 minutes there's not a hatred to that there's not a vitriol there's not i can't believe you're going to wrestle and having someone who has been able to find the balance with me and going i know i'm not here on the weekends you can go with your friends and you go do your stuff then During the week, we will spend our time together. It's not always the easiest, but we've made it work in a way where like, I don't feel like he's neglected and he doesn't feel like I'm running away for too long. We just got to make sure the dog's good, you know? I know, right? Did the dog get fed? Has they gone out? They gone inside to go to the bathroom? Speaking of, I don't know where my little dog is today. He's probably like hiding somewhere in this house, peeing in the house because he's a bad dog. I've got one good dog, one bad dog. Now the dog has competition, so... 
They've got to do anything to get your attention. Oh my God. It's never ending. Well, Effie, I'm so happy. I got to have you on here that I got to talk to you. Lita did chef's kiss with you, but I'm so happy that I got to come hang out with you too. We've completed the circle now. I feel awesome about it. We did. I know. So good. So hopefully I'll be able to see you out at the show soon. Hopefully it won't be too long. Yes. Hide in the back. It can get, it can get intense. I've actually always wanted to go to big gay brunch. So hopefully that will be able to happen. I got to say this because at Big Gay Brunch this year, I got to do something very cool, which was walk a Rolling Stone reporter around Big Gay Brunch and let them take it in. Uh, but at the last second, the one of the editors said, we're just talking about WrestleMania here. And uh, we did not get the Rolling Stone feature, but I did get to go into Dallas on the cover of the biggest uh, gay Dallas newspaper magazine. And that was extremely cool because statistically speaking, the top three faces that you could see in public in Dallas for that weekend were Roman, Brock, and Effie. If you were looking at the number of faces, I was on every street corner. It was marvelous. Oh, I love that. See, well-oiled machine. Get it out there. People love them some Effie. Well, dude, so good to see you. So happy we got to chat. You're absolutely crushing it. Thank you. Um, can I put something over real quick? Please. I want to, since it's Pride Month, I want to put over a clothing line that I started called Wrestling is Gay, available at wrestlingis.gay. Last year, we raised about $8,000 for various charities, LGBTQ charities, especially one in Atlanta here, Lost and Found Youth. But it is an aggressive clothing line for all my people out there that know that you can be gay and LGBTQ and of any gender and of any belief and love wrestling. And it's not an insult to say that wrestling is gay. I love your merch line. I think it's so great. The first time I saw that and like saw the tagline, I'm like, oh my God, of course. It's so good. Very good. So make sure to check that out, guys. It's good until you're in a Boston airport across from a, a college wrestling team and they're staring at your shirt. So God bless all the courageous people who are wearing my shirts out in public. I love it. I'm sure that they understand. Maybe they went to the website. They could check it out. They, they could check it out. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Renee. A big thank you to Effie for hanging out with me. Much appreciate you taking the time. I know you don't just throw out interviews left, right, and center, so I appreciate you giving me the time. Also, subnote, really pumped that we had that semi-precious weapons conversation. If you guys have not heard of or know who semi-precious weapons is, go check them out. Do yourself a favor. They're so great. Oh my God, I, I feel like so um, honored blessed from the heavens that I was able to see uh, them live and I interviewed them many, many, many years ago. So cool. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for listening to this episode with Effie. He rules. Um, I was wearing my Elton John shirt during this interview, which if you're just listening to this, you wouldn't see that. If you're watching it on YouTube, maybe you did get to see it. I don't know. Sometimes I like to be a little on the nose. Um, all right. Until next time, all y'all, this has been The Session.